0: This is the Trust Business Lunch on WGN. What a nice Friday, huh? Hope you're enjoying it, maybe listening to us outside or maybe with the windows down today. Paul Nolte here. He's the Senior Wealth Advisor and Market Strategist at Murphy & Sylvest. By the way, Paul, how are you today? I'm doing well. Not quite driving around with the top down, but close. Well, I'm going to talk about this in the 1 o'clock hour a little more, Paul. It's an aside for you and me, but A little while ago, we had a reporter on from the Washington Post. He was talking about how many kids don't take the school bus anymore. How do kids get to school? Used to be that a lot of us walked or rode our bikes. Today, it's one in 10. The vast majority of kids, over 50%, go to school now being driven in personal vehicles. School buses are so 1980s. And the response from our listeners about that is is uh there's a lot so we're going to go back to that in the one o'clock hour did you take a school bus when you went to school back in the day paul
1: Uh, let's see i walked to grade school and high school i would either walk or bike
0: that was very very common now it's less than one in ten kids walk or bike to school that's quite anomalous now all right Times have changed. Let's talk a little bit about the economy and the markets. Uh, Let's just start with the markets in general right now. How are we doing? What's your read? What's going on here?
1: Well, I've got my uh, my S&P 5000 hat on now. Uh, We just added a zero to the S&P 500. We have officially crossed over to the 5000 mark. So that's a new all-time high. It is now about 4-5% or above where it peaked out two years ago. So We've gone kind of in an interesting direction. We were down t- in 2022, back up in 23, and and now finally crossing over to new new high territory. And it's been led by, and has been for the last year, by technology stocks. And they continue to lead the market higher. And, and that that is going to be, I think, the case until it's not. And I don't know when that's going to be, but certainly everyone is enamored with Microsoft, Nvidia, et cetera.
0: The uh, magnificent six or seven, but, I was talking to a couple of guests this week who noticed that in the S&P anyway, the market is rising on a broader base and uh, maybe those stocks aren't going to go down much, but they aren't going to go up much. Maybe the values are in some of the other equities. What do you think about that?
1: That's true. I would I would argue that certainly small stocks, and that would be the Russell 2000, um, and certainly the value indexes are as cheap as they've been relative to growth going back to 2000. I do think over the next three to five years, that is probably a good place to go uh, if you're looking for some long-term value. And I would argue that we're, you know, the Magnificent Seven may be very similar to the Nifty Fifty back in the late '60s, early '70s, uh, and maybe to some of the internet stocks of uh, 1999, 2000. So you're right; they may not go up much more from here. And I think the risks are a little bit more on the downside. But there are a lot of other parts of the market that have been ignored because they have stolen the limelight.
0: We're at new highs in some of these indices. Uh, do you see us maintaining these, or? Have we peaked? What's your forecast for the rest of the year? You don't have to you know, like that rest- question, by the way.
1: <laughs> it's, a, it's a typical question I get from all my clients, so uh, welcome, welcome to the, uh, the queue. I think what we're going to see is, uh, again, some of that rotation. We saw a little bit of that rotation in the fourth quarter last year where the, the technology stocks kind of took a step back and we saw the, the small caps, mid caps, international stocks, they rallied very strongly. And they're taking a little bit of a break here. But I think over the course of the year, that is where we're going to see some of the better opportunities. It will be driven by whatever the Fed is deciding to do with interest rates. And right now, the expectation are for five, maybe six rate cuts. Uh, March is now off the table, but uh, it may be just one or two. And I think that may actually disappoint some of the market participants. And that may allow the markets to come down a little bit. Uh, before we get a a good rally into the end of the year. And usually that does happen around election
0: time. Who's saying five or six, you or somebody else? Oh, it's
1: it's never me. Um, No, it is. The market participants, I guess, in whole. So if you look at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, they actually have a very good uh, gauge of where interest, where... The betting is on Wall Street as far as how many rate cuts or rate increases uh, are on the horizon over the next 6 to 12 months. And if you look at that, the expectation is by this time next year, uh, interest rates will be down about a a percent and a quarter from where they are today.
0: That'd be five. Um, Okay. what's the worst case scenario, though? Well, three, because I've heard eight and I've heard three. (laughs) And when I hear three, I think that's a lot more likely than eight. And if it, it if it were three or four, I wonder, is, th- is that the worst case scenario? I mean, no rate cuts would be the worst case, but I mean, realistically, how disappointing uh, would three rate cuts be?
1: Um, I, I really don't think it's going to be all that disappointing. Our base case is that rates pretty much stay right here and inflation come down a little bit from where it's at, but I think inflation remains sticky, and that's the reason why interest rates won't be cut uh, as much this year. Economic growth is fine. We don't need interest rate cuts to spur economic growth. So you look at the GDP numbers and everything else, we're doing just fine, thank you. It's all around inflation. The only reason the Fed would be cutting interest rates is because inflation is down to their 2% target. So that those are the numbers really to, to keep an eye on, and we'll get those next week.
0: Well, you said this isn't me. This is them. But <laughs> you said some folks are still saying as many as five or six interest rate drops. Do you have an opinion? Uh, w- what would your guess be for 2024 Fed action?
1: I think you'll see one or two, and it will probably come the last part of the year, and most likely after the election. There's going to be a a very high amount of sensitivity around the Fed cutting interest rates ahead of the election, uh, and people pointing fingers that it's a politically motivated move. So I think the Fed may, if they do cut, they may cut once in the summer, and then maybe once after the election. But wow. again, inflation is going to drive that. And if inflation stays where it is at 3%-ish, um, we could still see rates not really move much
0: from here. One or two. Wow. That's, that's not six or seven. Wow. One or two.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the market's been fine. We've had this, we've had this rate increase, the fastest on record, and here we are at all-time highs. Yeah, so the yeah, markets yeah. have
0: done very well, even with higher rates. I know that. And it's, so you make it sound like, so what's the problem here? But I, I, I would like to see rates come down for a host of obvious reasons. And among them are real estate and business um, development.
1: No, absolutely. and and But remember, too, that for a long, long period of time, and I, and I would say this probably, you know, started in 2008 and earlier, interest rates have been in the 3 to 6% range pretty consistently. And, uh, you know, it's only been really since the financial crisis in 2008 where we have gotten used to a very low interest rate environment in an effort to fix the banking system or come out of COVID or, you know, address different issues in the economy. Historically, that's not been the case. Historically, we've had a, a good rate environment where somebody that wants to put money into a CD or put money into a savings account can get an okay rate of return as as opposed to a couple pennies. Um, and, and that, I think, is, is something that is not bad for the overall economy, and certainly not bad for uh, uh, individual yeah. investors.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's funny you mention that. I'm glad you did because we never, we don't talk about that maybe as much as we should. If, if the uh, interest rates stay where they are, that's pretty good. If you're in an I bond or a T bill or a passbook savings account or a CD, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, the banks haven't really jacked up their savings account rates, but yeah. certainly the CDs and stuff, yes, you're getting four between four and five percent. and that's again, something that that somebody that's retired can can get some earnings on, some interest payment on and and use that to augment their income from other sources.
0: How do you explain that people keep shopping though? I mean, we're racking up debt, credit card debt, for instance, and inflation is evidently not low enough. Wages are up a little bit, but the boy, the American consumer, is still spending, isn't he?
1: Yeah, and that, you know, again, that goes back to my point that the economy is still doing very well. Um, and it's, it it is it, it is a bifurcated; it is a separate type of an economy. The service side of the economy doing very well. Manufacturing is struggling, and that is directly as a result of higher interest rates. But the service side of the economy is is doing very well, and individuals feel comfortable enough to spend. Um, and have not pulled back on spending. And you're right, higher uh, inflation and higher prices have really not deterred people from spending money, um, whether it's travel, restaurants, et cetera. So that's part of the reason why I really struggle with cutting interest rates because, again, now you will add additional fuel to an already very robust economy.
0: Well, will your tune change when this number comes out next week on inflation? Uh,
1: <laughs> I reserve the right to uh, change as the as uh, market or as uh, economic conditions change. I will be surprised if we take a look at the middle number of in, all the different inflation from all the different parts of the economy, Uh, The Cleveland Fed puts out a median uh, CPI number, and that number has been hanging right around three, three and a quarter percent. And I would be surprised if we get significant movement from that uh, with this report. We might see more movement over the next four or five reports, but I would be very surprised to see um, a big movement with this number.
0: Politically, the Biden administration keeps finding ways to invest money in the economy, chips and uh, the build back better plan etc uh, you would imagine that if a Republican were in office they would be for policies that were very pro-business uh, you made it sound a moment ago as though in this election year that's going to put a damper on things though what's what historically happens in these situations
1: well historically I mean you know we can we can be very jaded about uh, the Uh, whichever person is in in office, whichever political party is in office, because the goal of every politician is to stay in office. So they want to juice the economy. They want to make things good. So when everybody goes to the poll, they get voted for. That's the base case. If you take a look, though, at elections, there is market movement around the elections, especially if it is a surprise. We saw that when Trump was first elected, Uh, We saw it around when Obama was elected, but that tends to dissipate quickly, and then uh, investors start looking at the economy, start looking at earnings, et cetera, and so it really doesn't necessarily matter who is in the White House. And say, okay, well, if a Republican is in, then the markets do X. If a Democrat is in, they do Y. There is a little bit of a difference, you know. Again, over a very long period of time, uh, markets tend to do a little bit better under Democrats, but. I would argue that's that's really not it's kind of like, you know, is the manager of the baseball team is are they the reason that the team is winning or is it the players on the field? And so that's that's my response back is that it's really more the economy than it is any guidance from the White House.
0: You'll remember when Donald Trump got elected, the market went into a free fall overnight and recovered right away because he was such a wild card, I suppose we know who donald trump is we know who joe biden is uh, maybe we even know who nikki haley is but i mean though none of those would introduce an element of surprise like donald trump did say four four years ago
1: that, i don't think so i don't yeah i don't think so yeah i don't think so but we'll you know again the the running right now, the polling is going to be, you know, I think big determining factor as we get into November, September, October. Certainly once we're past all the, the Democratic Republican conventions and so on, we should have a pretty good idea. And the markets will probably do some reacting to that. Uh, but again, from a from a long term perspective, uh, I don't think it really matters.
0: Nice to talk to you as always, Paul. Keep doing what you're doing and continue to visit with us here on the Trust Business Lunch.
1: We'll do that and uh, we'll keep walking uh, walking our way to school.
0: <laughs> Tom Appel joins us now on the Wind Trust Business Lunch, the um, expert on uh, all things automotive who regularly joins us on WGN radio. You can hear his stuff or find his stuff online. Hold on, Tom, I'm going to scroll over to you, <laughs> uh, which is the, uh, cons- it's, uh, ConsumerGuide.com. You That's can find us. his Consumer Guide Car Stuff podcast. Uh, at consumerguide.com. Tom, welcome back. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Incidentally, I suppose a big story about the auto show is Stellantis pulling out, huh?
2: Yeah, it's a really big show, and it's kind of a bummer. Um, Stellantis, of course, for people who don't know, a lot of brands, right, Stellantis is the parent company of Jeep and Ram and Chrysler and Dodge, Uh as well as Maserati and Fiat and Alfa Romeo. So there's a lot of brands that we won't see there this year.
0: Why did they decide not to go to? Isn't this the biggest auto show in North America?
2: It is certainly one of the most visited shows, and I think it's the largest in terms of square footage. What happened this year, and hopefully it's a single year situation, but Stellantis finds itself in a very awkward position where it just doesn't have a lot of product. It was hurt financially by the strike way back when, you know, a few months ago, and, and it didn't go to the LA Auto Show. It didn't go to CES in January, and it is skipping Chicago, largely because it doesn't have a lot of product on the ground right now. They've eliminated three brands from three different models from Jeep, um, two models from Dodge, and the Ram Big Pickup, which is one of the best-selling vehicles in America, is about to be redesigned, but they don't have that ready to show yet. So this would have been a very expensive auto show for them to attend on a new car, they can show basis.
0: How, ma- how, how, how much is that uh, with the other car manufacturers? Do they have plenty of inventory or they were hit by the same strike? I mean, what's the, what's the deal there?
2: Yeah, because this was twofold for, for Stellantis. They did, one, it was expensive. And two, they just, their product cadence isn't there. General Motors, for example, has a lot of fun stuff to show. And a lot of really interesting Hyundai-Kia stuff on the ground this year.
0: Hyundai and Kia, are they um, talk about that brand uh, because that was a popular brand with thieves? I suppose it still is. Um, is that something they've addressed? Is that not an issue anymore?
2: Uh, they've made a really good job of making it not an issue. But the repairs are underway, and there are. If you have a Fiat or Kia product, you want to reach out to a local dealer or just go to the Kia, um Hyundai or Kia dot com. There are fixes in the works that you can get. So again, this affected basically entry-level products that had turnkey ignitions, and those were the ones most affected by the theft issue.
0: Electric cars are the deal now, Um, but it does seem like, and you talked about this the last time we visited with you, that the appeal of them, such as it is, is waning a little bit because it looks like the idea of an electric car got ahead of the infrastructure for electric cars. Is that right? That's
2: exactly right. The infrastructure that's out right now, and there's a few brands that manage most of the public charging, uh, have failed us miserably, just to be as honest about it as possible. They, they don't work very well. And if you want an electric vehicle but can't arrange to or afford to have charging at home, maybe you wait a while because the public charging system just isn't where it should be. Um, and, and if you can charge your car at home and, and you, you know, this is going to be your second car, why not? It's a great thing to do.
0: Million electric vehicles sold in the US last year for the first time. Um, you think it'll be less in 2024?
2: Most expectations put it at 10% next year, which would be up from 8% of total sales volume this year. So growth has slowed, but growth is still growth, and people are still buying EVs. Additionally, we're probably going to start seeing more affordable versions of EVs. One of the things that happened early on is, is that manufacturers, especially domestic manufacturers, got pretty excited about what seemed like early demand for EVs and priced their vehicles accordingly. And those prices seem to be pretty high. We remember when the F-150 Lightning was first introduced just pre covid they had a base model that was $40,000, and within months of that, Ford got greedy, and had raised our price to $60,000. So a lot of people were scared off.
0: If you want, though, to get an electric car, would you advise people to put it off or go ahead and buy an electric car? Just know what you're getting. Would, would there be any advantage, necessarily, to not buying an electric car right now?
2: One of the interesting things about not buying an electric car right now is is that leasing, which is one of the best ways to get hold of the federal tax credit, isn't very appealing to manufacturers or to lenders right now because the price of used EVs is falling. So it's really hard to peg a residual, and a lot of lenders are afraid they're going to get hurt on the loan. So this is sort of a catch-22 situation. You need to lease to to get the tax credit on a lot of vehicles, and a lot of people don't want you to lease because (laughs) it's tricky.
0: Yeah, but you don't have to lease a vehicle to get that $7,500 rebate. I mean, in fact, they were taking it right off the top now, right?
2: Uh, They're taking it off the top at dealers that are participating. So, yes, that's, that's a very cool thing, too. You can go to a dealership, and if a dealership's participating and you're buying an EV, um, and it qualifies for the tax credit, uh, that'll come right off the top. So you don't even pay tax on that amount because it's part of the deal, which is pretty exciting. So that's faster than waiting for your taxes to be done a year later or longer. Right. Uh, so that's pretty
0: cool. Um, my friends who drive electric cars love their electric cars. But even Jerry Haggerty, the Chevy dealer locally, talked to us. He said he thinks that hybrids are really the, the, the sweet spot right now. What's your reaction to that?
2: The hybrid hype right now is interesting because it's it's a bit of a fallacy. Um, there's an old saying that supply creates its own demand, and a lot of manufacturers, especially Toyota, have, have made a lot of their regular vehicles, their mainstream vehicles, hybrids. And it isn't as if consumers are choosing hybrids. is that there are simply more hybrids available. And luxury car makers, Mercedes, BMW, for example, are, are selling a lot of what they call mild hybrids or 48-volt systems. They're They're kind of built into the car. They're not really meant to be hybrids as you would advertise hybrid systems, yeah. but they yeah. are being counted as hybrids.
0: My son's Subaru I was driving, and the light came on, and it said, hybrid system failure. I thought, what the hell is that? And it said, pull over and consult your manufacturer's book, which wasn't in the glove box. So I just keep driving. I hope it doesn't blow up, but uh, I don't know that I'm getting real hybrid performance out of that vehicle anyway.
2: No, I have never seen that light, and I don't know exactly what that light means, but it seems ominous. (laughs) <laughs> yeah,
0: you know, but it was orange, so I kept driving. The orange lights mean you can keep driving. It's the red ones that you know, that you need to worry about. Um, our number is three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. If you've got a question or a comment about the auto industry and the vehicles you're thinking about, Tom Appel is here. Uh, what else should I pay attention to at the auto show or in general in the market right now, Tom?
2: couple of fun things at the auto show. First of all, the Tesla Cybertruck is there. So we've all heard a lot about this vehicle. You can go and see it in person. And reactions to the vehicle are incredibly polarizing. Some people love it. Some people hate it. But the styling is, is crazy. Also, Hyundai just launched a revised 2025 uh, Santa Fe, which is their midsize crossover, their midsize two-row crossover. Extremely interesting styling. It looks a little bit like a Land Rover or a Range Rover, but it's not traditional Hyundai styling. Uh, a lot of people love it, but that's worth seeing, too.
0: Uh pickup trucks are still the number one selling kind of vehicle in America, and with gas prices down, it seems like you wouldn't have to worry so much about that if that's a consideration, but gas prices go up and down all the time, and you can't just roll out pickup trucks if suddenly gas prices dropped. All of that to say, how fuel-conscious are people uh, when making car purchases these days? I know we talked about EVs, but just in general, when you're buying a gas-powered vehicle, is that a consideration right now?
2: I don't think it is. Gas prices are relatively affordable right now. And the thing that happened to pickup trucks in the last 5, 10 years is that they became a lot more fuel-efficient. There was a time not too long ago when your average pickup truck was getting 10 miles per gallon, and now we're seeing 15 to 18 miles per gallon, depending on the model and depending on how they're equipped. So the hit to your wallet for buying a pickup isn't what it used to be. It's still far, pickups are still far less efficient than, say, something like a Honda Accord, but there's a lot of technology there that, that makes them so much more efficient than they used to be.
0: I saw the list of the top-selling cars in America the other day, and the Honda Accord was further down on the list than it normally is. It's up there, but it's, um, it's not as high up as it used to be. Is something going on there?
2: Yeah, just a, a, generally the public has turned away from, uh, from midsize sedans. So we used to see the Toyota Camry and the Honda yeah. Accord and sometimes the Nissan Altima way up on the top of that list. And they've definitely slid down. They're still popular uh, and they're still great vehicles, just the, the public attention has turned elsewhere.
0: Two SUVs, essentially. Yes, yep. 312-981-7200. Here's your chance to ask Tom a question. Here's our chance to get more business news with Steve Grzanich. Start your timer. It's time for the Trust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business news of the day.
3: Chicago's Department of Planning and Development has approved Bally's revised plan for a Casino and River West. The company had to rework the original plan because it could have damaged water lines near the Chicago River. The revised plan will include a 100-room hotel above the casino. The initial plan called for a 500-room hotel tower nearby. Developers will find a new site for the tower elsewhere. The development will also include a 3,000-seat entertainment venue, dining and retail, parking, garage, and riverwalk. Construction is set to begin this summer. Mayor Brandon Johnson is reportedly considering a list of recommendations aimed at cutting red tape for developers in Chicago. The mayor signed an executive order back in December directing city departments to provide recommendations aimed at expediting housing and commercial development in the city. Cranes reports Johnson has been given an exhaustive list that includes things like combining two development review commissions, hiring more staff in key positions, investing in technology, and appointing a point person inside the mayor's office to improve the process. I'm Steve Gritanich, and that's your Wintrust Business Minute.
0: Here's the business of food with Steve Alexander.
4: Thank you, and on the food calendar, it's a big, big day in Chicago, one of the biggest of the year, National Pizza Day, so let's talk pizza. One of my favorite things to talk about. He, and I will call in Mr. X for now, is in the pizza business here in Chicago.
5: He's celebrating our 10-year anniversary, which I cannot believe it's been that long. Yeah,
4: he oversees a major pizza business, and we'll find out who he is after I thank the Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com for sponsoring us today. There's never been a better time to put a Silverado in In your toolbox. Okay, when you think of pizza in Chicago, you think of. Well, probably not this guy. Tom Dart, sheriff of Cook County. Yeah, the Cook County Jail has been in the pizza making business since the day Chef Bruno Abate came knocking on the sheriff's door. He said he had basically a
5: vision that. His life would not be complete if he did not give back and tried to help people who had made mistakes in their life to try to get them back on their feet.
4: Yeah, the kitchen Bruno put together in the jail is impressive.
5: You would think you're in the kitchen of a upper-end restaurant in the city of Chicago somewhere.
4: And Mr. or Ms. taxpayer.
5: And all that was free, so it hasn't cost the taxpayers money.
4: For now, if you want to buy one of the Cook County Jail pizzas, you'll have to get arrested. It's only sold within the jail complex and
5: it's wildly popular. We've sold over 150,000 pizzas since we started the program. But coming soon... A food truck for the general public that we're going to be operating starting in April.
4: And this pizza is pretty good?
5: It's just incredible.
4: And is it changing lives the way you and Bruno had hoped?
5: Yeah. and That was one of the things both of us were really focused on. It, this wasn't just to be some sort of uh, one-off, let's teach how to do it, and then off to the world you go. We, we, we case managed people when they leave. We try to connect them to jobs. We have a really high rate of people not being rearrested for anything. And that's because the program isn't just about cooking. It's about changing people's mindsets as well. And we always have a waiting list. We have people on the long list to get into the program because we can only handle about 20 to 30 at a time.
4: Cook County Sheriff Tom Dart. I'm Steve Alexander. That's the business of food on 720 WGN.
0: Talking to Tom Appel. Uh, By the way, Tom, as we go to some phone calls, um, what what is there to the rumors that Stellantis is going to merge with someone? What are you hearing about that?
2: Yeah, there's a rumor floating around that that Stellantis may in fact merge with Renault, and it doesn't make a lot of sense superficially because Stellantis is so much bigger than Renault. Renault is a number twenty car maker, Stellantis is a number three, this by dollar volume. Uh, and it seems like these rumors really are being created by the French government, which owns a stake in both companies, and wow. seems like it wants to tidy up its portfolio. It doesn't seem to make a lot of sense from a business perspective.
0: Okay, let's pick up some phone calls then. You've got a question or comment for Tom, 312-981-7200 is the telephone number. Where do we start, Pete? Line, I guess, one, huh? And is that Larry? You're on WGN. What's your question? Uh,
2: Question is, uh, what about hydrogen vehicles? Just in general? Uh, Yeah. Uh, Is there any chance? And when hydrogen vehicles come out, are they going to uh, put the uh, electric vehicles under the rug. No, probably not. Hydrogen-powered vehicles are often referred to as fuel cell vehicles. Uh, Fuel cells are simply things that convert hydrogen, pure hydrogen, into electricity. And there's a lot going on there. But a hydrogen vehicle, a fuel cell vehicle, is really an electric vehicle plus more expensive stuff. So it gets more complicated, more expensive to build a vehicle. And then the processing and storage and shipping of of hydrogen is very complicated, too. And it seems like we've been talking about hydrogen vehicles for 30 years, and we never get any closer to them. But the infrastructure costs are really huge, and and the complications of building a hydrogen vehicle are pretty high. There are manufacturers looking into it, and it looks like it might be a solution for over-the-road trucking, but the day that we can just go to a Chevy dealer and buy a hydrogen vehicle seems very far off.
0: Larry, thanks for the phone call. There is a population of people that do seem to want to put the brakes on the EV industry, not just their own purchases. We've all talked about that a few times here, but um, I'll let you reiterate your thoughts about this. The EV business might slow down its growth rate, but they ain't going anywhere, right?
2: No, and one of the interesting things about this is right now the eV building EVs and and, and setting up factories to build them are very expensive but here 's a really simple thing to remember right now, there are something like three hundred and thirty million cars on the road in the United States, and every single one of them has like twenty five hundred dollars worth of, of of emissions equipment EVs don't need that stuff and and if you want to improve the the uh, just the, the environmental friendliness of an EV, you can do it simply by making a power plant a little bit more efficient or a little bit cleaner. It just, it works better. It's smarter, it's easier, uh, and and we will get there.
0: Fred, you're on WGN with Tom Appel. What's your question, Fred?
5: Hi. uh, Yes, I own a 2013 Ford Fusion Hybrid, and uh, I I love it. It's the best car I've ever owned. Last year, I went to Hawk Ford in St. Charles to buy a new one, and the dealer told me that Ford Motor Company, doesn't, they stopped making them. Why is that?
2: Well, part of the reason is they stopped making the Fusion altogether, hybrid or not. So, yeah, that was one of the platforms that Ford had for, few, uh, for hybrid vehicles. Ford uh, sells some plug-in hybrid vehicles right now, but not conventional hybrids, unfortunately. So your investment's a little bit higher if you wanted to buy one of those.
0: Still um, sounds like a good buy. Penny, you're on WGN. Thank you, Fred. Penny, what's your question? You're on with Tom. Oh, hi. Um, I was wondering
1: no one ever talks about minivans, and yet I see some very attractive ones on the road. I mean, I like the space inside of a minivan you know and uh, I have all my friends in here they 're not they 're nice and
0: spread out yeah, yeah, what about those Tom? we We talked a little bit about SUVs Where are minivans?
2: The minivan was so so popular when I was in high school back in eighty four when 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 Chrysler came out with a uh, uh, the Dodge Caravan and the Plymouth Voyager. And and it got huge, right? There was a time when there were 30 or 35 different minivans on the market. Uh, the market has shrank, but it's been steady now for several years, and the minivans that are available now are really good, really good. The Chrysler Pacifica, the Toyota Sienna, and if you go to the auto show, you can see the new Kia Carnival, which is perhaps the best-looking minivan ever. Kia has done such a good job of making it look like a crossover, and, and I think that's the appeal of that vehicle. But minivans are out there. Manufacturing just talk a little bit less about them because the segment isn't growing, but it's not shrinking anymore. And there's die-hard minivan fans, people who own mm. them, love
0: them. Penny, thanks. Sounds like she's one. Is there an electric version of that? No, there's a
2: plug-in hybrid version of the Chrysler Pacifica. And then at the auto show, actually, Volkswagen is showing the ID Buzz, which is an electric uh, minivan that looks like the old microbus. It's kind of a cool vehicle.
0: Mm. All right, Tom. Anything else you want to mention before I let you go?
2: Uh, I think that's it. If people are interested, uh, our podcast this week, the Consumer Guide Car Stuff podcast, is all about our 2024 Best Buy Picks. So if you're about to go shopping, you might want to listen to that.
0: Wow. Okay. At ConsumerGuide.com or just, I guess, on the app store or on the podcast uh, app, uh, download the Consumer Guide Car Stuff podcast, right? Please, yes. All right, Tom. Thanks for your help today. Oh, thank you. Tom Appel.